Hi, everyone. This is Jack, co-host of the Summer Reading Podcast, coming at you live, not live, but not dead either, far in the future, before we even start to tell you that we like to swear. It's an explicit podcast. It's not crazy, uh, but we do say bad words, you know, like fooey, and we call each other cur a lot, like almost nonstop, and uh, what have you. We're good for a good what have you here uh, here and there. So just so you know, if you want to protect your, your delicate paper ears from uh, our, our cutting remarks, um, just be aware of that. So uh, sit back or, I don't know, go for a jog, whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. I'm not your dad. I could be. We don't know. Pretty sure I'm not. Send me a letter. Coming up on the Summer Reading Podcast. Like, yeah, if I was... I watched this movie and there's a baby crawling across four lanes of traffic like in New York City like I would probably be having a panic attack too the summer reading podcast the podcast where a professor and a librarian or alternatively a librarian and a professor <laughs> read and review all of the books you are assigned to read in english class i am your professor my name is jack my pronouns are he him and i am your librarian my name is marty and my pronouns are she her and you can tell from the title but for today we are reading and reviewing frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Yeah. Very, very exciting. It's We're just a couple days out from Christmas. Yes. You won't be hearing this until after Christmas. Um, and it's 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 good. Mm-hmm. If you can't tell, Marty and I have actually been on this phone call for an hour. Yes. But... <laughs> we, we just needed to warm up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just just get get chatting. Yep. Get get yep. chatting before before we head to it. I'm, I'm going to close this window for Baby's Day Out. Oh, my God. Because it's covering my notes on Frankenstein. <laughs> well, really, Jack. I mean, what's what's more important? Maybe <laughs> uh, stay out. I can't. I don't know what made me think of that. Oh, because we were talking about. Never mind. I do know what made me think of it. We're talking about Home Alone. We're talking about Home Alone, and I. Kevin McAllister would yes. definitely walk across an iron girder in a construction site. And be totally. Oh good. man. Oh, so man. crazy. All right. Uh, so let's let's talk Frankenstein. You want to talk Frankenstein? I do. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, start. Start. Have you read this before? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have not. This was a first read for me. It was really exciting, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That genuinely surprises me. Yeah. It was. Um, the cheese Harriet. Sorry, she's moving my computer. Um, uh, yeah. No. It was. It was a first read, and it was. I went into it completely not knowing what to expect um, tonally, mm-hmm. and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, what about you? Can, How, can I, yeah? Before, yeah? can I tell you what I thought your experience reading this was going to be? I don't know. Yeah, go for it. I thought you were going to say, 
oh, I read it like at the beginning of high school. And then on my reread, I, my husband came in and he said, oh, I read that in college. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought it was okay. Like I literally, I, I thought this was going to be one of the ones yeah, where been. Ben weighs in on what he thought about the book. Because I think, I think it's it's in the same period as like books yeah. in the past yeah. where he's waiting. Like I think when we did Northanger Abbey, uh, he's f- like, oh, I like Mansfield Park or something like that. Yeah, I feel like he did say something about reading it and not liking it. But then when I was talking to him about the story... He seemed to have no knowledge of it. So that could be that he did read it, but just like didn't feel it was worth retaining. Sometimes you, sometimes you read whole books. And or or let me let me say I. I think it's <laughs> sometimes I will read whole books mm-hmm. and I will finish the book and I'll close it. I'll set it on the armrest beside me and I will just admit that my brain was not recording yeah. the whole time. Yeah. I'll walk away from it being like like I I think the one that I remember being forgotten <laughs> the most <laughs> is there's this book by Helen Simonson called Major Pettigrew's Last Stand. Oh yeah, yeah. Um I've not read and it, but I I think I read it in 2017, so I think it was part of my blank year of reading anyway. But I always think back on that one as a book I don't remember Mm -hmm. anything about besides the fact that I read it and I don't remember. I I, I assume there's a character called Major Pettigrew. I'm sure there is. (laughs) I think there's a coat rack. But okay. that might just be me remembering the cover. <laughs> like, that's literally it. Yeah. It's And I read this whole thing. Yeah. I read the whole book. I don't remember anything that of it. That is so interesting. Um, have, but, have you ever picked up a book and started to read it and been like, oh, wait a minute, I read this one already? Yes, that, I have. Yeah, that's always, that's always jarring to me, like, when I do that. I can't remember which, one, which ones, though. Uh, probably kids' books. From when okay. I was a kid. <laughs> For me, it was um, the most recent one that I remember was it was a biography of Fanny Kemble. She was a. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell she you. She was this actress back in um, I can't even remember. I want to say the 1700s. If I'm the past. The past. Yes, she was an actress in the past, and um, she no, I think she was 1800s. Yeah. Anyway. I had done a project on her in theater history. And so I read a lot about her. And then I was in the library. This was probably seven years ago. I'm going to I'm gonna guess. And I walked past this display. And I was like, oh, Fanny Campbell. And I was like, cool, I'll read this book. I remember her. And I sit down and I start reading it. And I was like, oh, I totally read this one. Like, for my research project, I read this one. <laughs> I just, like, but it, it took me, it, it had to be at least 50 pages before I realized that I, like, had read this before. Oh, man, that's brutal. Being, like, yeah. it took 50 pages for you to remember Yeah, it. right? So, I don't know if that was just the fact that it was a biography. I, I'm not really sure what, what caused that uh, brain lapse, but... Yeah. yeah, well, I, I've read this book before. You have? I've read Frankenstein before. How many I've times? I've never read the biography. No. I read it once before. Okay. And I, I was trying to figure out if I had read it originally for AP English my senior year of high school. Okay. Or my first semester at college. Oh. 
I could I could not for the life of me because those two remember. do blur. So they blur because it's yeah. it's within the same year. Yeah. And uh, I remember being at Barnes and Noble, and I got like five Barnes and Noble classic. You've seen my Barnes and Noble classics of section. Um, and I, I remember getting books like Treasure Island, Peter Pan, yeah. um, The Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I got books like that. And I think, but I'm not positive, that Frankenstein was in that group. Okay. So that was around the period of time, my first semester in college, where I was reading all of these quote-unquote classics for fun. Right. Um, so I... I don't remember if it was for AP English or if it was for me being me, me being a burgeoning pretentious English major. I love it. Um, <laughs> but I, I I have read this before. Okay. Um, and a part of me wonders if in discussing it with you, I will have like the sort of flashbulb <gasps> yeah. memory that brings me back to whether I was in the library at right. UML or if I was at home doing homework right, right, for, right. for high like, school. Like what so, room was I sitting in when I was thinking about this last mm-hmm. kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I And honestly, I don't remember it too favorably. Okay. So it, it leads me to believe I was a student when I read it yeah. initially. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I enjoyed the reread. Good. I texted you. Yeah. I, I've been hankering for, for rereading stuff. Yeah. And I sent you a rather superfluous <laughs> list of books I'd like to reread. Yes, I loved it. As a form of, as a form of therapy for myself, who's probably not going to reread something for quite some time <laughs> because I keep obsessively acquiring books. Oh, that's um, right. The ne- and the next two that we're doing are not rereads for you, are they? Um, they are. Oh, they are. Okay, so you'll reread they, they those. They are. Uh, those those will be rereads, but yeah. those aren't the ones I'm hankering for. I know, I know. They're, I mean, it's still be good. It's, it's it, whole it'll thing. be good. Yeah, I get things. it. I get it. But yes, this was a reread for me. Excellent. And you said you liked uh, the reread better than you recall liking the first. I did okay. because also it was scratching that reread itch. Yeah. Because I I think and you said I'm it was on record. making you feel Christmassy too, which I thought was yes. very interesting. Made me feel more Christmassy than when <laughs> than we read Christmas, Christmas Carol. <laughs> which Can is, I explain that? No. It was that's I just remember getting that text and I was like, well, that's amazing. <laughs> I like I don't understand it, but I like that's it. That's way better than re- getting that text and being like, what the fuck is this dude's problem? <laughs> no, you know what was like? It's it's weird to me because it. I totally relate to that. Like, I remember once, um, one Christmas, I was decorating the tree by myself. I don't remember where. Oh, my God. Sorry. 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 Didn't mean to laugh. It's okay. I decorated a tree by myself this year. It's a totally normal thing. It's not sad to decorate a Christmas tree by yourself, Jack. I didn't mean it in a sad way. No, no. I didn't interpret it in a sad way. It was hey, look, bourbon. Strange. <laughs> it was strange because I was living with Ben at the time. I can't remember if we were married or not, but we were we were cohabitating. But for some reason, he was like out doing whatever, and I was decorating the tree by myself. Um, I don't. don't he was like decorating the neighbor's tree, probably. Um, so. He's like, it's tree decorating time. You got this one right. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna put put something on TV while I'm decorating. Um, and what was on, but the Christmas classic, Wayne's World. <laughs> <And> <laughs> for, some oh reason, 
I was like, this is perfect. Like, this is going to get me into the Christmas spirit. Holy shit. I thought you were going to say Frankenstein. So I was like, and for whatever reason, like, it really did. Like, I felt very Christmassy watching Wayne and Garth and decorating this tree. So that was the sentiment that I took away from your reading Frankenstein. Because clearly, <laughs> reading Frankenstein and watching Wayne's World are very similar experiences. So you know how the alternate title for Frankenstein is The Modern Prometheus? Yes. The alternate title for Wayne's World is The Modern Frankenstein. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it all tracks. Oh, it all tracks. Anyway. It all, it all tracks. Um, okay, I'll, I'll stop tangentializing. <laughs> 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 all right so so let's let's talk frankenstein yeah let's talk about frankenstein directly so uh a little background on this book i um <laughs> did some research same um and one of the things i think we need to address up top before we even go into uh background on mary shelley background mm. on the author is that there are two editions published within mary shelley's lifetime Mm. Uh, of this there's the 18 18 version yes sorry i saw my notes and for a second i thought that i said mary mary shelley was born in 1818 ah um but that's not true it's not but now i'm realizing that i did not write when mary shelley was born, she was born i only in wrote 1797 okay thank you You're i welcome. only wrote when she died Aww. um which is she deserves better she does um so there's the original version published in 1818 and then there was another version that was published in 1831 oh. which is a quote-unquote expanded version that goes more into elizabeth lavenza's oh. elizabeth's backstory Fantastic. and also switches her role from a cousin to an adopted sister okay now, if to if to say that's the biggest thing, I don't know, of uh, the biggest change, yeah. I don't know if that's the biggest change. Uh, but is it, it was the one that was singled out, most foremostly, yeah. in my reading. Um, I read the eighteen eighteen version. Right, same. Um, so we will be reviewing the eighteen eighteen version today. I also feel like that's the more popular version. Well, and it's interesting that it goes more. Like, I actually kind of want to read it if it talks. Does it talk from Elizabeth's perspective or just talk? Couldn't of... tell you. Okay. Couldn't tell you. I'm just curious. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so we will be talking about the 1818 version. Yes. We didn't coordinate that, so I'm glad it worked out that way. Same. Um, and so original title Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus Yes. Uh, on my other screen here I have the myth of Prometheus pulled up so I'm going to be talking about that in just a little bit oh excellent um, but it was written by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley mm -hmm. nay Godwin mm -hmm. so Mar Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft who you may know as the author of the uh, critically acclaimed um, a Vindication of the Rights of Women. Yeah. So she, she's coming into the world with sort of a already a badass literary background. Seriously. I was like um, amazed when I was reading about her parents. I was like, holy shit. Like. Yeah. What? Yeah. You know, it's so a, cool. 
really awesome. Yeah. Um, which made me think that A Vindication on the Rights of Women might be a good feature episode for us to do. Ooh, that's a great idea. I would love that. Um, yeah, there's also A Vindication <clears throat> of the Rights of Man, which I think mm. we're just going to ignore. Yeah, we can skip that one. Um, and her father, uh, a philosopher mm-hmm. of the time, William Godwin. Um, now, this is ancient information from when I was an undergraduate student that I didn't care to corroborate, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, From what I remember from multiple classes on British literary history, Mary Wollstonecraft and William Godwin did not believe in marriage. That sounds right. But they got married as a means of having their daughter have an easier life yeah yeah because they recognized that quote-unquote illegitimate children had a harder time of it in the world than quote-unquote legitimate children right um maybe i'll corroborate that later that's what i remember it's something i believe these people are feminist or proto-feminist icons right right um so that's well that's and huge. and her dad was hanging out with um thomas Paine and william blake and lord byron i think like, like thomas Paine. yeah yeah he was are connected he's... with thomas Paine. are you kidding me is it the same thomas Paine? i think so are we talking common sense thomas Paine? i think so he's across the pond yeah i i wrote down unless i have something wrong thomas Paine and william blake were in the same social circle of radical thinkers with her father. I'm almost positive that is the correct Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine and who? Um, William Blake. William Blake. Okay. William Blake got around, so. Mm-hmm. Revolting romantics history today. <laughs> William Blake, Thomas Paine, and Biblical Revolution from JSTOR. Ooh. All right, well, I know what I'll be reading soon, soon enough. <laughs> that's a, um, that's a, sounds like a good bedtime read right there. That's wild. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's like if there was a superhero movie yeah. <laughs> that had um, Doctor Strange <laughs> and uh, Rocket Raccoon. And they were like <laughs> working in like a buddy cop capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know... There's at least two Avengers movies that has both Doctor Strange and Rocket Raccoon. So don't fucking at me, okay? Okay, Avengers, Avengers okay. friends. Okay, M- MCU <laughs> nerds there. I, I am one of you. So don't, <laughs> don't attack me with that. <laughs> I'm just, that is bonkers. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm legitimately, legitimately surprised. I thought it was cool, too. That's why I wrote it down. That is... That is um, if you don't know who Thomas Paine is, look it up. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could read some Thomas Paine on the on the pod, possibly. You, you want to read Common Sense? And not oh. really. <laughs> not me. I've had it for years. I haven't even... Cracked, bring myself. cracked the binding on that one. I, I had a dream once. This was like six or seven years that ago. That you were Thomas Paine. Not that I was Thomas Paine, but that I was me. And I was one by one losing every book in my library um it to the point where i had accepted it and i had the last book i had was common sense by tom and Payne. and i turned to my mom and i said take this i don't need it anymore oh my god (laughs) that's incredible 
Oh, and wow. I've never forgotten it, but I've never told anybody that. That is a really intense dream. <laughs> yeah, it's I it's love weird. that. Which is crazy because if I had that dream with my current library, yeah. it'd be a coma. Yeah. And it'd be so long. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> So, Mary Shelley, uh, in 1814, she began her relationship with Percy Bysshe Shelley, or Bysshe Shelley. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Never been clear on the pronunciation of of that, but Percy Shelley. um, But he was married at the time. Mm -hmm. To a Harriet. So, so it wasn't until later that the two, quote unquote, officially got together. I've been quoting, unquoting a lot today. That's fine. I'm going to stick with it because it feels right. Yeah, I like it. Um... Uh, so that happened, and then in 1816 is the Faded Night, yeah. where a bunch of writers get together. It's rainy, it's dreary, and they tell a bunch of ghost stories together. Um, so we've got who have we got? We've got John Polidori who wrote The Vampire. We've got Lord Byron. Uh, we've got Percy, and we've got uh, Mary Shelley herself, and. Uh, they tell ghost stories together, and they're like, okay, let's write some stories. Now. Yeah. Um, I would like to shout out the uh, episode of Doctor Who uh, ah. that uses this night. Oh, I like that. Of, of Jodie Whittaker, those first two seasons, not my favorite season, but the third Jodie Whittaker season, I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, anyway, they go to this night in an episode of Doctor Who. That's the whole story. Nice. Um, uh, but out of this night of ghost stories... We get Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get Frankenstein, and it's a hit. Yeah, and I it's a hit. I have to say, I wrote to, I, w- I wrote that down, and I <laughs> I wrote uh, that they were having like a little like mini competition to see who could write the best ghost story. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have that perspective. So that they were in the, they were stranded in and bored in the Alps. They were like vacationing together. And oh, boo. The weather was crappy and they were like, you know what? Let's like see who can write the spookiest story, basically. And I, I just. It's a fun way to pass the time, actually. Right? I wrote down. Yeah. Underneath it with a little arrow. Okay, I love this, and love is underlined. I would, I like, how fun is that? Like, that's a really fun way I to just, to just get through it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was because really, there's so much freedom. Really, so creativity. Like, I feel like the more th- this isn't this isn't new, but it's something that came up a lot when I was uh, in improv. But almost the more parameters you have, the yeah. more creativity and freedom you have within that. Yeah, yeah. Because you're not molding something from nothing. Right. You have uh, all of these ideas. So the idea of, okay, we have all of these ghost stories yeah. to go off of. Let's then make a ghost story. And yeah. then you're there with just your pals being like, let's share a ghost story. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's really, it's, really cool. It's like, it just sounds like magical to me that, that and this happened. I think... I think it's not ludicrous to say that I think Mary Shelley won. Oh, if it's a competition, <laughs> Mary Shelley won. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> there's, there's, there's that. So, so um, uh, okay. Two more things I want to say about Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. The first is, uh, on a sad note, 
she died of brain cancer in 1851. Oh, Jesus. I didn't know it was brain uh, cancer. Yeah, which is like, like it's, one, it's not great when people die, but two, when you learn that it's a really unpleasant way to go. Yeah. I feel like when people die, you want to hear peacefully in their sleep right. of old age. Right. Like, that, those are the things you want to hear. Yeah. Um, but she died in 1851. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get the year of her birth, so I don't know how old she was if, if you look that up. So, yeah, it was 1797 it. to 1851. So she's, what, uh, 54 years old-ish? All right. It's still not. Yeah. It's not great. Not great. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I really, really want to make a point of is Mary Shelley is considered... And I'm using the passive voice here, but I also consider her this. Mm-hmm. The first science fiction novelist. Oh. Um, so a lot of people like to contest this. Um, I've I've heard a lot of misogynistic reasons why uh-huh. she's not the first science, science fiction of course. novelist. Um, and I'm saying that I recognize that Mary Shelley is not creating work in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. That she's got like in this context, she's going off of a lot of creepy ghost stories anyway. Yeah, she's she's going off of Greek mythology. Yeah, here. yeah. So, um, but uh, commercially speaking, pop pop popularly speaking, I had to remember the word. <laughs> I knew it started with pop. <laughs> um, she uh, she's considered to be the first science fiction novelist. Yeah, um, a man using science to do something that does not exist. Right, right. Yeah, I totally get that. That's interesting. Um, so I, I like to believe that. Like, like I believe Baroness Orksey uh, was the first superhero novelist mm-hmm. with Scarlet Pimpernel in 1905. Mm. Like, okay. These these are writers and women writers who are creating works that are unique, sort of unique, yeah, v- vital in the compendium yeah. that becomes the science fiction genre or later and and. In my case, in my studies, the superhero genre. Yeah. Um, more, more, not more anything, but it's interesting. So I, I wanted to take a stand that uh, whatever Marty thinks, I don't know, but I like to think of Mary Shelley as the first science fiction novelist. No, that sounds legit to me. I mean, I, um, I don't know enough about the, I guess, the history of or the theory behind what makes something science fiction. But like you said, I mean, she is writing... Um, a fictional version of a scientific procedure essentially so mm-hmm. yeah uh, so i've always liked to use this metric mm-hmm. which is if the impossible is done using science it's science fiction uh-huh. if the impossible is done using magic it's, it's fantasy. fantasy yep yep that that's how i like to that's, that's a good like that's a good metric i like that yeah, yeah. it, it you know <laughs> there's never ever been an issue with a binary before <laughs> Um, so <laughs> never. <laughs> oh God, I love it. <laughs> so, so with that, so um, the last thing I want to do is I want to uh, read the myth of read Prometheus. Please do because I really um, I realize now I was like, oh yeah, modern Prometheus, and then I never revisited the myth to to check up on that. So yeah, At, as a young English major, I feel like. The fun fact was knowing that the alternative title was the modern Prometheus. Yeah. It was less so knowing what the modern Prometheus meant. meant. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, uh, I'm reading, I'm going to read this from, uh, eldvarm.com. Okay. Now, 
I'm not familiar with Eldvarm, so if there are some classicists out there that are like, you went to the wrong fucking place, uh, please let us know. Yeah, email us, um, please. Email us. We'll tell you the email at the end. Yeah. So now you're on the hook for the whole time. <laughs> ah! um, but Eldvarm.com, at the beginning, I'm going to be reading this quote from the Who Is He? So this is an explanation. Eh, fucking hell. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, this is an explanation of who Prometheus is. Okay. Uh, with that. So in Greek mythology, Prometheus is a titan god of fire and supreme trickster. He is credited with the creation of humanity from clay and of defying the gods by stealing fire and giving it to mankind. For this transgression, Zeus sentenced him to eternal torment. Prometheus was bound to a rock and an eagle devoured his liver in an ongoing cycle finally ended when he was freed by Heracles. Yeah, I remember this one. So, yeah, he gave fire to humans, Mm -hmm. which was, and Zeus was like, dude. What were you thinking? He said, don't do that. So he tied, he tied him to a rock and then there was an eagle who ate away his liver. And then at the end of the every, every day, the liver grew back. So the eagle could eat it again. So disgusting. Uh, yes. Yeah, I love mythology. I love mythology. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's so much cool stuff in there. So um, gross. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's Prometheus. And I will say, before we got on the recording, I was walking around my apartment reciting the myth of Prometheus, but I couldn't say Prometheus right. I kept saying like Prometheus. Prometheus. It's like that's not right. So so immediately we can see Frankenstein is an allegory here. Yeah. It's it's the plot of the myth of Prometheus, but with this Frankenstein sheen to it. This this Victor Frankenstein veneer. Right. Um, of it. So with that, do you? Let's get into it. You wanna? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You wanna get going on on the review? So we've, we've gone through the background. Yeah. We've caught up. Yeah. There's nothing left now but to go through. Do we? Do we need to give a a short summary of, of yes, the story? Let's, let's give a short summary. Look at you. Can you see my format? <laughs> I've only done this what twenty seven times. It's fine. <laughs> I'm finally getting on board with what's happening. Um, Did I text you the format? Probably. It was a, we don't lo- have to it talk about this a now. long time ago, Jack. No, I redid it. Oh, you did? Oh. Oh, no, I redid it. I texted you and I redid it because it's you, now important. It's <laughs> we don't need to be inside baseball. Everybody right now. wants to listen to this. <laughs> Us talking about so, the format. <laughs> do you want to do? Do you want to do a quick synopsis? Like um, if I gave you thirty seconds. Oh Jesus! Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I, I don't. I'm, I, I'm literally <laughs> chewing on a pen. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> chewing. Um. Anyway, the um. So the the, let's do fast and dirty version of um. Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Um, it follows the story of, oh, I'm going to forget the, the initial dude's name. I don't have it written thank down. Robert Walton? Yes, thank you. So Robert Walton is on a trip. Um, he's writing these letters to his sister, telling her. He's a ship captain. Yeah, telling her about his voyage on this ship. 
Um, and he runs into this man who's like stranded in the middle of the ocean and they're in like iceberg land. I don't, I don't think it's ever specified. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> they're on a journey to the North Pole, but officially it is known as iceberg land. <laughs> anyway, um, details. Um, so he's writing to his sister. They find this man stranded um, in amongst the icebergs. And this man is um, Victor Frankenstein. And they form a friendship, uh, Robert Walton and Frankenstein. And, and Frankenstein is telling him his life story, basically. And he's telling him all of the mistakes that he's made. And he reveals that he created a being. He created a larger-than-life man, essentially, um, who he then recognized as a monster. The monster killed his little brother, and he has been living in anguish ever since he found out about this. Um, he meets the monster, talks to him. The monster says, like, dude, you really fucked me up because you left me alone. Nobody will talk to me. No one will um, relate to me. Uh, people are just afraid of me. You need to make me a partner. So he says, Victor Frankenstein, make me a bride. And if you don't do this, then I'm coming after you and your people. Um, so Victor is sort of slowly like coming in and out of madness with all of the stress around this. Um, he gets all of the materials it's it's incredibly vague um to make this bride for the monster um and then he's in the process of creating it, her and um he sees the monster like look through the window and he realizes that he's doing something wrong destroys the bride and the monster goes off and kills his best friend and his um fiance or a bride I think they've like just gotten married and he kills her on the wedding night um so now Victor is like in in pursuit of this monster um he wants him to stop killing people stop destroying things um in the end Victor doesn't make it he um dies am amongst the icebergs um on the ship and uh in iceberg land in iceberg land <laughs> and I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the monster comes back. And the monster is mourning Victor. And um, Robert Walton is like, dude, what the hell? You destroyed him by destroying all of his people. And the monster says, but he destroyed me in the same exact way. And then he goes off into the, into the mist and presumably dies we're, we're sort of left hanging on that so is that a fair synopsis yeah too yeah. detailed not detailed enough i don't know um no we'll go into it let's just okay. pick it apart yeah let's pick it apart so, so um <laughs> i, I want to start with my review of victor frankenstein um or the book frankenstein featuring the character Fucking, you understand. I do. <laughs> I do understand. Um, Victor Frankenstein is the most fucking annoying character. Thank you. I, I, I think I've read in every fucking 
book we've done on this podcast. Yes. And that includes yes. like Ralph in Lord of the Flies. Yeah. I <laughs> that that includes fucking like Bella Swan. Yeah. Like, like I I will read you verbatim the note that I put down, the little bullet point. Victor kind of sucks slash is an idiot, IMO. <laughs> like, he just, he, yeah, I, I am not, I am not Team Victor. Let's just put it that way. I, Can I tell you my note? Yeah, please, please. <laughs> that I wrote about this. Yes. Victor Frankenstein is the worst man yeah. in your freshman philosophy class. <laughs> He's pretentious. He believes himself superior from his own self-taught education. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And you know what? I never even took a philosophy class in freshman year, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, you understand. 100%. Yes. Yes. It's a man. (laughs) Yes. Who comes in and he's like, this is the guy who's debating with the professor. Oh, God. Yeah. And the professor's like... Yeah, I've spent 50 years working on uh, on this field, and this fucking 19-year-old comes in and says, actually, not only do I think you're dumb, I think you're wrong, and you should kill yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. this this is Victor Frankenstein. Yeah. He's the worst fucking person. He does suck. No, I agree. Like, like I can't. Like, I can't. I, I know. I, like, part of the biggest struggle of me with this book is... We get a narrator who I'm, I don't even love to hate. Yeah. I just hate. You just hate him. No, it's so it's so fascinating to me too because I feel like she, Shelley, really knows that she's writing him that way too. Yes. Because it's, it's like deliberate. He goes to university and all of his professors are like, "What kind of fucking garbage have you been reading?" And he's yes. like, "And he's like, no, I know." And they're like, "No, actually, you don't." like you're an idiot and it's just it's it's kind of amazing to have an author write a I mean I don't know if he's the protagonist but I would say he he sort of he is the protagonist he is like to have such an unlikable protagonist and and you can read it and know that the author is like yeah this dude sucks like it's it's cool. You, you can almost tell that Mary Shelley is like dealt with oh. not one but many men like this oh, yeah. in her lifetime. Yeah, uh, of just like the the these men who Victor Frankenstein is intentionally abhorrent. Right. He he sucks eggs. Yep. Like yep. He, the, yeah, he's the worst. And, and it's so specific in the way that he's terrible. And the narration is so perfectly unreliable. Yeah. yeah. That, that you have to really dig to see, okay, if you don't trust this guy, what was this situation actually like? Right, right. And it's fascinating to me, too, because Robert Walton is so on board with him. He's like, this guy's awesome. He's my new best friend. And it's just like, and that makes you wonder as the reader, is this, is Robert just really, really lonely? (laughs) And like, this is somebody that he could have a conversation with? Or is Victor Frankenstein that much of a charmer? Like, is he that much of a, you know, he's, he's very eloquent. He's very good at 
I don't know, arguing for himself and sort of bending people to his philosophy of the world. Hmm. I don't know if I would say he's a charmer. I think he's a bit of a sickly motherfucker. Yeah. But I think that there is a good deal of privilege Mm. that maintains Victor Frankenstein's position. Okay. Um, So I think about, in particular, um, the character of, as you mentioned, his best friend, Henry Clerval. Yeah. Now, Henry Clerval is my favorite character in this book. Um, Not my favorite part, but my Mm -hmm. favorite character. Okay. Um, And there are these passages or these whole chapters where Victor Frankenstein, who's constantly sick, constantly ill. Yeah. Um, there's this passage or section where Clerval is just taking care of him. Mm-hmm. And he's almost, it's almost breezed through. Yeah. Where it makes me wonder, like, what's Clerval's agenda? What does he feel, feel when it comes to Victor Frankenstein? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that play into everything? Because it's like, okay, is Frankenstein, who's not a doctor... I, I want to make sure oh, I, I say yes. yeah. he's not Dr. Victor Frankenstein. He's Mr. Victor Frankenstein. Right, right. Um, if, like, there might be something magnetic about him, mm-hmm. but I think overall, I feel like there's a degree of the system is in place to support and buoy the Victor Frankensteins. Yes, yes. Rather than the... Justine Moritz's right. or the Elizabeth Lavenza's right. of the book or the wretches of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, Victor comes from means. He's, you know, he's a man of a certain class. He is afforded an education. Um, and there's no sort of like one of the interesting things about Henry Clerval is that it's put on him I think by his father it's like like dude if you're gonna go to school you're gonna learn something that's like gonna help our family like you're gonna learn a trade sort of you know and I think he goes Mm -hmm. and he's learning about like being a merchant whereas in Victor's family it's just like oh you darling little boy of course go study your science like go do your philosophy you know it's just it's this your cute little natural yeah. philosophy <laughs> it's like this like he's coddled throughout the story by everybody and i guess maybe it was maybe it wasn't correct to say he's a charmer but there is something like you said there's something magnetic about him and it might be that he's so sickly that people want to take care of him in this way. He might you be know, like so pathetic no. that people are like, I have to help this guy. I have to help him. Yeah, he's like he's so pitiful. Um, but while I while I was reading, since that can be charming. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it, it's you know, it's a specific kind of charm. Like I definitely mm-hmm. know people who I think. Have chosen absolute losers. No, <laughs> I see people that I'm like, you chose your partner because you want someone to take care of. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there's no. That... I know what you mean. I've met this friend of yours. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Shush. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not saying any more than that. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah, I, I don't know. To me, there's there's something there's an element of that in Victor Frankenstein. Like he, mm-hmm. and with H- Henry and Victor, I couldn't help but read their relationship and just be like, Victor's in love with him. Like Victor. Oh really? I looked I, at it the other way. I thought that I thought Clerval was in love with Victor. Interesting, because I thought that Victor was in love with Clerval, like, and that that was why he was like, you know, he's engaged to Elizabeth, but like not really doing anything about it. Oh, well, it's twenty twenty two. They could love each other. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Obama said it was okay. <laughs> maybe I mean maybe it is. But but it's interesting. So why did you just see it as as Clairvell loving Victor? Because because Clairvell's like, taking care of him. Yeah, yeah. He he's sick, and Clairvell's putting all of this time and energy. Yeah. Into making sure that Frankenstein is okay. Yeah. That he can survive. He's avoiding his family. They're spending all this time together. Like there's this degree I think of Clairvell being, uh, it it doing it. For nothing other than the fact that he wants to do it. Yeah. There's so no I think other there agenda. Is, it, it, this is a classic example of potential queer theory coming up against potential friendship theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there is that degree. Because I think, frankly, Frankenstein doesn't love anyone more than he loves himself. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, you could be bisexual and a terrible person. It's true. You can and, be any any sexual and be a terrible person. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you might be a... Listen, you can be a bisexual king and also morally reprehensible. Right. And I think that's what we have here with Victor Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> I just... It, it's like when I was reading it and he... All of his discussions about... <laughs> Hi, Harriet. Um, all of his descriptions. For the listeners at home, Marty's cat just walked in front of her camera and is currently there. Yep. She's walking on my keyboard now. So if I disconnect, that's why. Um, all of. <laughs> I can't see you at all now. It is literally just your cat's side. <laughs> all of his conversations where he talks about Elizabeth. <clears throat> It feels like he's like. Oh my god, the cat's the cat's walking in the other way now for the people listening at home. It feels like he's just like oh she yes. walked all the way across she... the keyboard, turned around, walked the other way, you know what it is. and now Marty's muted. She, she so I don't know if that I think the cat muted her. She's nodding. Yes, the cat muted me. I think she wants my chips. I think that's the problem. Is that I had food. Um. Russell, Russell, Russell. Anyway, I don't even know what I was talking about. I just, every time he talks about Elizabeth, I, I feel like it's empty. It's very like, oh Mechanical. Yeah, yeah, she's my beautiful. We will get married. Exactly. Like, she's my beautiful cousin. Like, of course I'll marry her. You know? It's like, it doesn't. But when he talks about Henry, it feels like, oh my God, he's my friend. And I, he, I care so much for him. And I love spending time with him. And, you know, when he arrived, it felt like I was home again. And. Oh, that's you really know? interesting. Yeah. And forces me to do some internal interrogation. Hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So what what else did you have about Clairval? I'm just curious. Um, so you said okay. you wanted to talk about him. Yes. So I don't remember a lot from my initial read through of Frankenstein, but one of the things I remember is 
in my first read through, the second I was like, I really like Clerval, the next page, he was dead. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like that's classic in a lot of, in just writing, in fiction writing. You take the best character and you kill them off. It does happen. Or or you take one of the mo- more sympathetic characters or accessible characters and you murder them mm-hmm. to develop the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when I first read this, I was upset because I liked Clorval, but then I was upset because I had to spend even more fucking time with Victor, Victor Frankenstein. He sucks. Because, um, like, I, I like Clorval. Yeah. I, I like... In these old, older, not old, but older narratives, you so rarely get people that are just a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Clarabelle is and a good guy. He's just a good guy. Yeah. Um, he's got his life. He's doing his own things. And he's a good guy. Yeah. Victor Frankenstein is the opposite of that. Yeah. He's, he's an asshole. He sucks. <laughs> he just sucks. He sucks. He's so... He's so bad. And he's so stupid. Um, like, it just drives it drives he, me crazy that, like, he... he cre- he's such a man. He's such a dude. <laughs> he creates this monster. And he's like, oh, my God. And, like, just runs away and comes back. And the monster's gone. And he's like, all right, I guess that's, that takes care of that. I'm like, are like, you a fucking idiot? <laughs> like, he wants to create life. And then he creates life. And then he's like... Fuck, this is tough. Like, what was he expecting? I know. Like, classically, yeah. Victor Frankenstein spent a long time collecting very attractive pieces from very attractive corpses. Yeah. But he took them from different corpses. Right. Like, did he expect, when it was inanimate on the table, to look differently than when it was animate on the table? It is so idiotic. Like, like he's... Yeah, He's he's such he's he's not even a problematic fave. He's just problematic. Yeah, yeah. Um, which leads me to say, can we talk about the wretch? The wretch, the monster. The wretch, the monster. Yes, I want to because I love him. So, the monster is the best. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's so eloquent and um self-aware and observant Mm -hmm. and it's funny so this was part of the conversation that we had this morning when I was talking about Frankenstein to Ben and I said yeah he creates you know he creates the the monster and then the monster says to him like dude you left me alone I have no companionship no one will talk to me like this is horrible. This is a horrible way to live. And what the fuck? I'm literally just standing here. And Ben said, you can tell that this was written by a woman because no man of this time would be that self-aware to know that, that you need companionship. And I was Absolutely like, oh brutal. my God. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, there is like, there's some serious truth to that. Um, The Victorian male writers would not have brought that to the page for the most part. Well, you look at like something like Jekyll and Hyde, which is, Mm. it's a sci-fi novel as well. Yeah. Um, But at, at every point in that novel, all of the men have companionship they're almost right. absent-minded about 
Yeah. Yeah. Utterson has his clerk, but he also has Jekyll. Jekyll has this group of old cronies. Right. Uh, he's got doc- he's got Leighton. Like they're like these men are connected. They're part of a social system. Yeah. Um. And Shelley obliterates that. Yeah. She she completely deconstructs like. Listen, Victor Frankenstein is part of a social system, but he creates something that is inherently separate from right. anything, but aware of human connection. Yeah. Um, which is brutal. It's my so favorite, brutal. My favorite part of this book is the monster's tale. Yeah. Of how he came to be. Yeah. Like, it, his story where he's like living beside the cottage oh. and meets those people like like Felix. It's so beautiful. He he gains his language, he gains yeah. his understanding, and he, he formulates these opinions he has about the world from from scratch. Um and he falls in love with this family, a family yeah. that ultimately does not accept him. Yeah. Um it is the best part of the novel for me. Yes. And I, I think in part it's because you're rooting for the wretch. Right, right. There's very little rooting for Victor Frankenstein. Like, no. I don't love to hate him. As I said earlier, I just hate him. Yeah, no. With, he's... with the wretch, like, you understand the his problems. Right, right. You understand his issues. He's like, he's a fucking monstrosity. He looks like a slasher film. Yeah. And and he, he just wants love. Yeah. As, just wants as we have said in former podcasts, he is ugly as shit. And nobody wants to have he anything. Is ugly as shit. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. And it's so heartbreaking. That whole and I I was thinking like as you were saying that that's that's your favorite part. I would go back and reread that section. Like just that section. To like mm-hmm. because the the way that he comes into being like squatting in that hovel watching the family and coming to understand like like you said coming to understand their language understanding their relationships to each other um what it means to be sister and brother and father and like all of that and he just and lover eventually yeah yeah and he just observes and absorbs it and and then he he wants to be a part of it and it's like this incredibly beautiful human experience like way more than any of the emotions that victor conveys i think so it's so you know yeah yeah it's I do. So. It's so. That's that's so. And and listen, I'm grateful that we get th- like three chapters of it. Yeah, I know. Um, I think part of the thing that makes it so delightful is the fact that it's in this book with such a reprehensible mm-hmm. narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, that when we we turn away from that for a while, the the delight and satisfaction is all the greater. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, we're like, maybe, maybe I just want to listen to this monster guy. Maybe. I know. Like, he's, he's got his problems. Like, at, at no point. I was thinking about this earlier. I've talked in previous podcasts about the X-Men. Yeah. And how 
in the the prequel trilogy, the way that they introduce Magneto is that he's a Jewish refugee during World War Two, mm-hmm. and the way they introduce Charles Xavier is he's a rich British kid. Um, yep. And it's like, how are we supposed to root for these characters on the same level? Right, right. When one of them has, like, clearly... Serious trauma. Serious trauma, more developed problems. Right. And more understandable and serious problems than the other one. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's... It's wild, yeah. All right. Any any final thoughts about it before we go Um, through rabbits? I don't think so. Da, 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 da. No, I think we talked about all of the big stuff. Oh, one thing that um, I want—I—I I just wanted to put this out into the universe. But like, how fucking different is this than any film version that you've ever seen of Frankenstein? Pretty, like it's pretty different. it's crazy to me that they made these films and called it Frankenstein. When I'm reading the book and I'm like, this is so this is like a, like a world away from any of the like old black and white films that I've seen. Yeah, I you think, know. I think the Hollywoodification of Frankenstein is similar to like the Hollywoodification of pirates. Yeah, like like pirates in their day were pretty well spoken, but Hollywood turned them into like yar. Yeah, 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 kind of people. It's just uh, I I don't we don't actually have to talk about it, but I just like felt the need to put it out there that like watch like reading this and then thinking about like the versions of Frankenstein that I've seen where it's like you know there's the bolt of lightning and it's alive and then there's this monster yes. that's like groaning and grunting but then in this you, book you, you get have, a castle instead of some dude's apartment yeah like, but in this book you it's like it's like there's this, no Igor yeah <laughs> Anyway, that I just had to throw that out there. If you have seen a Frankenstein movie and didn't care for it, pick up the book. The book is always better. And it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Anyway, this is a good one. It is a good one. I think. Yeah. Okay, we uh, we can move into rabbits. All right, let's go into rabbits. Yeah. yeah. Rabbits. I hate rabbits. If there's anything I hate more than a rabbit, it's two rabbits. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Rabbits. This is the segment at the end of the podcast where Marty and I review the book on a scale of none to five rabbits. You can use a decimal rabbit, but don't think too much about what it means to have a half rabbit. So, Marty, out of five rabbits, how many rabbits do you give Frankenstein and why? So I am going to go with three and three quarters Um, because I actually did really enjoy this. Um, But as we discussed, Victor Frankenstein sucks. And it's hard for me to really love a book when I really hate the main character like that. Um, But I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I really and like I said, I I love the monster and I or the 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 wretch is that what you called him? I call him the, the yeah. wretch. The um, wretch. And I feel like I would just read a book about him, like <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he's like, so delightful and wonderful that you kind of wish yeah. that, that the book is the wretch. Yeah. Despite the fact that Mary Shelley did a great job, she did exactly what she wanted to do. Right. Right. Yeah. I I think. I mean, I yeah. and I, but I do like. I'm glad I read this one. I don't know when I will go back to reread it 
I don't think it will be anytime soon. But um, but yeah, Same. I thoroughly enjoyed it, honestly. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. So three and three quarters is my final rabbit rating. How about you? So, so. I was on the fence about whether I was going to give it four mm. or three and three quarters. Mm. Um, but now that you've given it three and three quarters, I think I also want to give it three and three quarters. Oh, explain. Um, so I think it's well done. I think um, Mary Shelley did a fucking baller job. Yeah. Um, she won the competition. She won the competition. <laughs> um, and I think, honestly, it's such a vital perspective Mm -hmm. and it's such a vital novel to have in sort of our contemporary understanding of things like sci-fi or thriller or even the gothic yeah um so i was like i don't know if i want to give it four uh even though i think like it's worthy of four but i don't know if i enjoyed it at the level of four right so with that i think uh, I'll join you okay. with the three and three quarters. So 3.75. Solid. Uh, perfectly for, for Frankenstein. It's just, it is, it's good. I think it's, it's good. It's yeah, it's good. So I think anything less than two, it's Twilight Territory. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lord of the Flies. Oof. I think those are the only books that Oof. we've ever put that low. I know. Yeah. Um, we got to find one that we disagree on, Jack. Well, as I said about the whale in the room. I know. Um, <laughs> we will get to yeah, it. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think, I think that'll be a good one that might split us. It will, yeah. Um, uh, what with that? Okay. All right. So three and three quarters? Three and three quarters. All right. So that's us for today. <laughs> Ta-da! Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We have been the Summer Reading Podcast. I have been your professor. My name is Jack. That has been your librarian. My name, Her is, name is Marty. Marty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to do this, but I realized that because of this podcast, people have been following my mom because we plug her her every time. So for if you're listening, you can follow me on Instagram. Yes. At Jack from TV, all one word. And you can follow me on Instagram, Marty, spelled with a Y, underscore the K. All, that's all one word. I'm glad you, in my head, I've always said Marty Thack. I know. It's, so it's a, a nickname my dad used to give me, Marty the K, because my middle name is Kathleen. So This seems like <laughs> something that I would rather have not learned on, <laughs> on the podcast. This is co- <laughs> Brand new information. Sorry. (laughs) Feel free to edit that part out, Rosa. No, no, leave it. All right. So our music is by Nathan Morrissey. He's a good lad. You can find him on Instagram at Nathan.Morrissey77. Our editor is my brilliant, amazing, wonderful, lovely, brilliant mother, Rosa Maria. You can find her on Instagram and on Etsy at Crochetwell, all one word. Marty tells us the email address. Summer Reading Podcast at gmail.com. 
Please send us book recommendations, corrections if we've gotten anything wrong. Be nice to us. Please. Please, please. Um, and join us next time when we talk about... Oh, fuck. I was going to look up the... I know the book. I don't know the author. Do you know it's, the author? Yeah, it's uh, Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. Will, really? That's... That's his name. All right. <laughs> Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. 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 That's not going to be a hard name to say for a whole hour. <laughs> we'll just call him Wilson. It'll be fine. Wilson. 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 All right. <laughs> Join us then. Goodbye. Bye.